and welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. She has a cat named Frank, and apparently he doesn't watch the news. Whitney Nelson. <laughs> uh, if I did have a cat named Frank, they definitely would not watch the news. That's good. That's good. And... It doesn't matter how much he loves Keanu, if his pupils don't dilate, we don't need him. Evan mm, Wells. Nice. That's true. It was really <laughs> tough to get lines from this movie that made any goddamn sense <laughs> at get all. It. I bet. <laughs> so we've been teasing this for a bit now. On this episode, we are also incredibly excited to introduce a very special guest. So here's this big buildup. Are we ready? Are we ready? Woo! They are a culture writer for Vox, exploring online culture, subcultures, trends, and communities, as well as film, TV, and theater. Prior to joining Vox in 2016, they spent over a decade as a reviewer and reporter, covering online communities like Tumblr, Fandom, and Reddit. They are a member of the American Theater Critics Association, a 2019 fellow of the National Critics Institute, and a frequent media guest and panelist on topics and issues involving fandom, film, theater, and the internet. They live in Brooklyn. It's Asia Romano. Hi. How are you guys doing? <laughs> so good. Great. Wow, after all that buildup. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did, we did it. it. We did it. Congratulations. Asia, <laughs> you have written single-handedly the piece of media that I have been sent most this year. Oh, my goodness. Likewise. Yeah, that's true. Likewise. (laughs) Wow, that's very flattering, especially given how much media there's been on Keanu this year. I'm very Uh flattered to hear uh that. I I got your piece on Keanu more than I got. What was it? Was it GQ or was it Esquire? That it was big, GQ. Yeah, GQ. the big GQ piece. I got yours more than the GQ piece. So wow, thanks for letting me know that. That's flattering. And also, it was really one of those things that I think we sort of waited a while to do our piece because we sort of wanted to give like the authoritative, definitive overall take when all of the other the, the the other takes were sort of coming fast and furious and i think that helped because i think that little bit of lag time helped give everybody a like breathing room to process what we had to say about keanu if that makes sense yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah, it was so good and you dive into some of the other parts obviously we're going to link the piece in the show notes it's called uh, keanu reeves explained if you hadn't seen this i believe probably most of our listeners are familiar with your piece as well mm-hmm. but uh, it dives into <laughs> keanu as a meme and just like essentially how he became an overnight success in 30 years right <laughs> right the, right everything right. leading up to this kind of point in time right definitely worth a read definitely worth a read asia i'd like to just kind of start with with a little bit about your backstory. How did you come to like this point where you're writing so uh, kind of beautifully about Keanu? You know, what's the <laughs> appeal there uh, for you? Oh, thank you. Um, oh, that's a broad question. And I think it has to do with, like you said, I spent a really long time covering a lot of uh, many aspects of the internet, the internet culture, um, fandom. Um, and the thing about being uh, really involved in fandom and also observant of fandom. And when I say fandom, I mean um, generally like online cultures where people are getting together to talk about things they love. Um, you learn to really look at that thing from a variety of angles. You're not just, you know, slavishly adoring the thing. You're also critiquing the thing and analyzing the thing and trying to figure out how the thing fits into uh, to social context and pop culture. And it's really... Um, 
in a lot of ways, it's a very good proving ground and good training ground for for being uh, something like a culture critic. Um, you know, so having that background in mind, when you look at Keanu, he's such a fascinating character um, to apply that sort of um, uh, thinking to because he has occupied so many different roles and so many different relationships to pop culture over his long career. Um, and mm-hmm. because we have so few examples um, of pop culture figures who've been around this long and had this level of both uh, ongoing celebrity status and um, this highly public, uh, you know, A-list level career for such a long time, you know, that's yeah. undergone so many changes and 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 so forth. And I think that when you when you put all these things together. Um, he becomes a character, and when I say he, I mean, his character, I mean, you know, his celebrity persona and his his figure in in public life right now. Um, I think he becomes a character that it's easy to get really philosophical about. So mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. <laughs> oh, that's mm-hmm. great. I really, really like that. Oh, thanks. For us, for everyone listening, what was your what was your first Keanu movie? Oh, I well, so I remember. <laughs> growing up with Bill and Ted, like everybody else, but yes. Um, yes, but the the movie that sort of broke through my my consciousness to present me Keanu, um, and I, I got really excited because I realized when, when I was thinking about this that I had like a summer of Keanu in 1994 um, when I was <laughs> when I was uh, in high school, very new to high school, and I was going to um, like so that was the year that Speed came out. So during that summer, mm-hmm. we all watched Speed. And Speed was ridiculous, but uh, a couple of weeks after Speed came out, I went to, um, I don't know if either of you, if any of you guys are familiar with uh, Governor's School. They have them around the South, mainly, I think. They're um, basically summer schools for uh, for kids. Um, it's sort of, they're, they're basically like, um, like a month or six weeks of college, essentially, um, where you, like, I don't know, honors kids go to college for six weeks and it's fun. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Um, yeah. And they're called governor's schools and they're basically to, you know, to get kids, um, inducted into studies like the humanities and, and the arts and give them a more, a more rigorous cultural training and so forth. And so I went to that. And while I was there, um, one of the movies that we watched was, uh, much ado about nothing. And so (laughs) I went from seeing, I went from having this very vivid, you know, oh, this is Keanu Reeves. He's this Mm -hmm. guy who is just this very, very bad actor in Speed um, (laughs) (laughs) to um, this movie that everybody was talking about that year to, oh, here I am in this, like, this hallowed cultural institution of higher learning. And we're watching Much Ado About Nothing. And in the middle of, of this, you know, really 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 good uh kenneth Branagh movie um there's keanu (laughs) playing this terrible 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 version of don john um (laughs) and it was just very very surreal and that uh and i really loved that movie and i really loved seeing that movie in that context and so um and and we were all like as a group there were i think about 130 150 of us uh in the the program that year and we spent it was a month long and we spent a good deal of that month making fun of Keanu (laughs) and his performance in that movie (laughs) because it was just so over the top and it's really unforgettable the way he delivers his lines, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, um, And so those two things in particular made quite a vivid impression on me as, as a a small teenager. Um, But of course, over time, like everybody else, Keanu came to represent many, many different things to me and to the public and, 
And uh, and of course, like everybody else at this point, I'm very fond of him and and very proud to see how his career has has progressed. That is so fantastic. You are among friends here who all love Much Ado About Nothing and uh, heartily agree with your mm-hmm. assessment of his performance in that movie as well. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you understand. <laughs> yeah. I think you mentioned it in your piece also. And it's a, it's a conclusion we all came to pretty quickly on our own is that like you'd be really hard pressed to find like an A-list actor who like swings for the fences in the way that Keanu does where he'll in Much Ado About Nothing, and then a few years later, he's in Speed. And then it's really hard to kind of pin him down to a single type of genre or role, which is so, that's the most interesting thing. And we were actually talking about this. I'd be curious about your take, Asia. Can you think off the top of your head of another actor who's been in such a wide variety of films, like so many different kinds of genre pieces, so many different kinds of of hero or anti-hero, because we had a whole conversation about it, and we were having a really hard time coming up with someone who, if you went through their whole filmography like we are doing, that would, you'd get this kind of big a range of entertainment in front of right, you. Right, right. Like, it, Meryl Streep has been in a lot of film, but if you watch all of Meryl Streep, you're going to get a lot of the same thing. And she's got a yeah. few outliers, but it's not like Keanu, who's all over the map. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. I think, um, honestly, the very first person who came to my mind when you said that was Tilda Swinton, because she's done so many off the wall. She's done Fair. sci-fi. Fair, that's she, you a know, good one. She's done a lot of, of very, like, you know, period historical films and she's done mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. um she's done mainstream like like comic book movies and um but also she's not as big a name as someone like Keanu. Um she just yeah. has that ability to to sort of be a a chameleon. Um and I'm sure that there are a lot of of you know sort of less um I uh, Kate Blanchett is another one too. She's done a lot of, okay. of, of yeah, genre. That's but, a good but, pick. but I also feel like like women don't get as much credit for doing those those types of roles because I agree. You know, they're they're not seen as marketable as as marketable as male celebrities are when they do them. And they're not seen as, um, you know, they're seen as, I think, taking roles to take roles and not, mm-hmm. oh, Keanu is dating to do uh, this obscure uh, low budget indie film, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's my those are my thoughts on that. And I would probably uh, be able to come up with a longer list, too, if you gave me time. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, we we actually thought that Hugo Weaving as like a he's very rarely a main character but when we were having this discussion we thought Hugo Weaving and it's funny because there's a couple of tie-ins here with Keanu but that he's been in a lot of different kinds of genres as well that he would be a good one but he's just not as as a-list celebrity starring as as Keanu is right right exactly and I think when you look at somebody when you try to find somebody who's on Keanu's level it's really hard because there Mm -hmm. there are very few celebrities who are as as well that's and that's exactly what started the the conversation is no one's done it like Keanu has. Right. And, and <laughs> exactly. who, who could we find that was the closest? And we've still never really answered that question to my satisfaction. Right, right. That's interesting. Well, I'm going to think about this for the entire mm. time now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know if I Excellent. come up with any more names by the end of the, the episode. <laughs> this is a lot of pressure on the spot, but you had a little, you had a little bit of time to prepare, hopefully. So <laughs> I would like to know, maybe off the top of your head, what are your top three Keanu movies? And to John Wick, one, two, and three. Okay. It's a, it's a valid answer. <laughs> it could be a valid answer. It's not my answer. Um, 
Yes. Okay. So I thought about it and I would probably have a different answer um, tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. That's fair. But I'm going to say my number one is my own private Idaho. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I think that he, I think that there's so much about that performance that's very natural and very unforced and it has a lot of staying power mm-hmm. um, and has really remained fresh over time. And then number two is going to be John Wick for me. Mm-hmm. And oh. then um, and then number three, I could probably pick any number of films here, but I'm going to go I'm going to go for uh, a little bit out of left field and say I think that he uh, gave a, a performance in the lake house that was really underrated. So I'm going to oh, say wow. the lake house. Interesting. Right. We haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's fine. I mean, I think he does. a. He's a it's a nice film. He's nice. <laughs> OK. Yeah, that's my answer. I like the ones where he's nice. <laughs> that's a that's a good and answer. And the one where he's super ultraviolent, but yeah. Um. <laughs> nice at heart, though. That's important. Absolutely. Well, I think we have delivered a sufficient amount of your cred, right? <laughs> We've established you as something of a Keanu Reeves expert, so... The bona fides. I'm very excited to move forward here. For sure. Oh, good. I'm really excited about this film. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. Up top, I want to mention, you can find the website at coolbreezepod.com, email us coolbreezepod at gmail.com, or hit us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you like what we do and you want to support it directly, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash coolbreezepod, reap all manner of extras, stickers, and all sorts of good stuff like that. But if you don't want to throw any bucks our way, a review on iTunes is incredibly helpful. Great way to show your appreciation. Please do that. We won't go through the whole song and dance because we want to be mindful of our guests' time, but <laughs> you know what, you know that I am not above putting Sarah McLaughlin mm. In mm-hmm. this podcast, too. We've done it before. We, we will, will do, do it, it again. <laughs> so, with all of that out of the way, Ev, what what are we talking about today? We are talking about the film The Watcher. The Watcher for weeks. Learned a routine. When she comes home, when she goes to sleep. In the morning, before the sun comes up, he can walk. Right up next door. You blame yourself for the killings. Oh no, I blame the person who did them. Don't you know I did it for you? For Detective Joel Campbell, the case that never closed. His last alias was David Allen Griffin. I worked the case for three years in Los Angeles. We attributed at least 11 homicides to him. Is coming back. To haunt him. What's he doing in Chicago? <laughs> I assume he's still strangling young women with piano wire. The plot synopsis from IMDb is as such. David is a serial killer of young women. Joel was in charge of catching him in L.A. He moved to Chicago a broken man. So did David and sends him photos of his next victims 24 hours before the murders. Um, that grammatically is pretty bad. So just kind of want to put that <laughs> yeah, out that's, there. That's <laughs> IMDb. I didn't thanks, write that. That's, thanks, IMDb. That's rough. I know. I, it, <laughs> I'm not blaming you, Andrew. Um, it was it was directed by Joe Charbanic, um, who hasn't done much else, um, but been executive slash consulting producer in various places. Um, co-starring alongside Keanu in this film is James Spader, Marissa Tomei, Ernie Hudson, and Chris Ellis. Whitney, what do the critics and audiences think of this movie? 
Uh, well, none of them think of it very highly, according to <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, we have a 10% critical score Ouch. on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think may be the worst critical score of a movie that has a critical score we've reviewed yet. Mm. And a tw- Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah, we did. I mean, we did there it. are a lot that I would, there's a lot that I would think would have a bad critical score, except for no one critically reviewed them. Right. Um... So, yeah, of the ones that have a critical score, this is, I think, the lowest that we've achieved. And it's a 29% audience score. Um, We have a quote from critic Jason Korsner of BBC.com, which says, The most fun you can have with this insultingly formulaic and utterly predictable film is trying to guess which cliche will be next. (gasps) Which is pretty pretty <laughs> severe burn. And then we have a user quote from John B. on Rotten Tomatoes who gave it one and a half stars and says, Dull Keanu in a dull film. It seems like I've seen hundreds of these. Yeah, yeah, dramatic tension. If you can suspend your disbelief significantly. Bordering on a waste of time. That's, Fire. that's so spicy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So all right, I don't. I don't want to waste any time, and we have we have Asia here. You know, given everything we have kind of in front of us, did this movie work for you? Am I the only person who'd actually seen this movie before this? Yes, you are. Okay, okay. so So I'm the only person here who's actually seen it multiple times. Apparently, correct. Okay, I have a lot of feelings about this movie, and I've actually so the first time I saw it was many years ago. I think it was like 2003. So I've had a lot of time to think about this movie and how bad it is, and the specific ways that it is bad because the the specific ways that it is bad matter to me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You probably weren't expecting this. <laughs> um, um, so I think I think that there are the ingredients of a better film in here. Like I think especially if you look at the writing, I think you can see where the writing was trying to get at something a little deeper, a little more thematic, a little more coherent. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it just gets lost in the production. It gets lost in the direction and it gets lost in the acting. Um, but I think generally I think the public... Uh, take on this movie is that James Spader and Keanu should have switched roles because mm. I think people people really see James Spader as this guy who's really good at doing you know sociopathy yeah. mm-hmm. yep. and 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 that's sort of what he's become known for in his latter years and his and I don't think he was necessarily known quite known for that yet but I think at this point he'd done stuff like um, Primary Colors and so forth where he um, not Primary Colors what's that uh, the movie that he's in with John Cusack. Where they're like they're both they both grow up to be sociopaths and po- politics and so forth, and I think he's he had like the workings of this 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 character that that sociopathic character in him, and I think what he does here is, um, is he sort of nullifies the effect of that character because he he just plays everything with such a, a completely blank affect the entire time except when he's in you know cop mode and then he's just really aggressive and there's no nuance there's very little nuance like i honestly when i look back at this film and when you look at this film through the lens of understanding that keanu is always keanu right and he's Mm -hmm. always he's always acting in his keanu mode like i think over time we've all developed this consensus that we we watch keanu performances in certain ways and maybe we didn't realize at the time that we had to watch them that way (laughs) you know Uh uh-huh but now when we look back, we're like, okay, and now that we know that we're what we're, what Keanu is doing and how Keanu is Keanu, we can see where he's acting and when he's not acting, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Mm. Okay. It does. But so so honestly, when I look back at this movie, I think that James Spader killed it 
uh, it, like, and not killed. I think he like killed the role. I think he like, I think he killed what whatever nuance and depth there was in his character. And I think he he pretty much uh, like forced the movie and not. I, I don't want to say him because obviously he directing directing has a lot to do with this. But I think when you look at the two of them, I think Keanu's performance was a lot more sensitive and a lot more attuned to what his character was supposed to be doing in the film mm-hmm. than Spader's. Which uh, which makes a huge difference because if you look at the like the dynamic like their their character dynamic is supposed to really propel uh, this film at least in terms of the writing, you know like Keanu is completely one like his character David or whatever the hell his name is <laughs> the Watcher. <laughs> Does anybody think this name's guy is David? Like he just doesn't look no. like a David. No. Um, his character is supposed to be very driven by this this obsessive homoerotic relationship that he inexplicably has with this cop. And um, you get the feeling that there was something in the writing at one point that explained why the hell this, this relationship developed the way it did and why it means as much to him as it does. Um, but you don't ever really see that as a two-way thing. And that's important because I think the the specific type of cat and mouse trope that this that this film is playing off of mm-hmm. is drawing from is drawing from a very direct lineage of having these very um, tempestuous, almost passionate like give and takes between these detectives and these serial killers. You always have to like if you look at um, the sort of the tradition that this film is in, sort of like um, something like. Uh, Talented Miss Ripley, which mm-hmm. came after it, but is still mm-hmm. like in that vein, mm-hmm. or stra- strangers on a train, especially um, something like where you have these two people who are are sort of they they both represent like what he said the yin and the yang in the film, um, two sides of this of this morally nebulous, um, sexually nebulous coin, <laughs> and they mm-hmm. uh, they 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 both need to be able to to sort of recognize themselves in the other. For that, in order for that chemistry to work and for that dynamic to really make sense, um, and when the when that works, it works in films where where that's really a huge huge part of the subtext and where the actors are really keyed into that. Um, even if you look at a film like uh, like Al Pacino and Cruising, um, where you see like where he sort of is you don't really ever see the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. You don't really see the serial, you see the serial killer, but you don't see the serial killer relating to Al Pacino directly, but you still see Al Pacino's character. He's, he basically plays an undercover cop who gets um, lost in the, the BDSM um, bathhouse scene of early of late seventies, early eighties, New York. Mm-hmm. And he basically becomes consumed with his, his, the role that he's playing in order to catch this gay serial killer. Um, and by the end of the movie, you're not sure whether he himself has, has embraced his role so much that he has either, either or uh, accepted that he himself is queer or that this is somehow a part of his identity or that he's become a serial killer or that he has become a queer serial killer. <laughs> it's all very... <laughs> It's all very, very nebulous because this trope depends on uh, on this 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 cop character being a morally um, or or like not necessarily a cop, but like the person who represents the quote unquote straight man mm-hmm. <laughs> in this dynamic, being this very morally troubled um, sort of sensitive archetype who uh, who finds something appealing in his doppel- his evil doppelganger, mm-hmm. you know. That's what that needs to be for this film to work. 
And I think when you look at this film from that lens, you look at it from the perspective of the writing, it's there in the writing. Like everything that Keanu says to James Spader in this film is, oh, I need you. You need me. We need each other. <laughs> yes. you know, it's very, it's very, it's very obsessive. Like they call and they have this intimate, like late night phone call. Like, mm-hmm. like, like it's all there in the writing, but it's not there really anywhere in the, the, the creative, the creative team, like the production. It's not really there in the direction. It's not really there from Spader. But I think it is there in Keanu. I think he's the only person in this in this creative team who got that. And I think that that's really unique. And I think it says a lot for Keanu Reeves that he like you can look at his performance and see that um, see that in his his acting and in his interpretation of the role. But you can't really see it in anything else. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on so many levels of this. I do think that James Spader is like the black hole that this movie gets sucked into. And I think Keanu Reeves got so much of the blame because of his sort of reputation at the time. Like, I didn't know anything about this movie. I'd never seen this movie. I went in totally blind, other than the fact that I knew that a lot of people thought this movie was about to be a career killer for Keanu Reeves. And looking at it now, I don't understand why Keanu Reeves got so much of the blame. I think that he put more sensitivity and more emotion into the piece than anyone else did. And I think James Spader literally sucked it out of other people around him. Um, I think that, yeah, I agree. I think that Keanu Reeves did not necessarily turn in the performance that I expect from him as far as he is so good so far at everything that we've seen, even movies that are terrible, of playing the subtext non verbally. And I think that he didn't do as strong a performance in that way of like seeing what's going on inside his head. I don't think that we saw what was going on inside his head. I think he delivered the the sort of emotional background of the performance, but I don't think that we saw, I never once saw what was going on inside Keanu's head. And that's his strong suit in everything that we've seen so far is he doesn't need the dialogue to tell you what he's thinking. And I don't think you see what he's thinking. I do think that he is the most emotionally, like, available in this film. Um, which means that he is doing the best job of communicating what this film is about. The It's funny, the, the movies that you mentioned, because the one that came to me, to my mind, as, like, a correlation of something that is similar but works better was The Bone Collector. Which was an incredibly formulaic movie as far as the, like... Serial killer, cops chasing, clues. All of the story beats were very formulaic and reminded me in some way of this movie and just how how predictable I found that they were. And even when you don't see the killer, there was more... um, There was more chemistry between an unseen killer and Denzel than there was between James Spader and Keanu Reeves who were actually on the phone together or in scenes together. And I I definitely think that that was, if I had to look at, based on the performances, if I had to look at one person and say, this is who who did well and who didn't do well, it's definitely on Spader for this one. Yeah, I agree with all that. (laughs) I just was going to say, I think it says so much that you're saying that Keanu gives the most sensitive performance in a movie where he's playing, uh, supposedly playing a sociopathic serial killer. Yeah. That says so much about the writing and about the direction I and agree. how 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 misapplied it all was. But I do think that he also did not turn in his best performance, knowing that he does that that deep like being able to show us what's going on in his head. I don't think he he turned in his best performance, but I think that's more about the restrictions around him and the limitations of the direction and the co-starring cast than it was about him. There was more chemistry between him and Marissa Tomei than there was between him and James Spader. And that's wild. 
Ev, what did you think of The Watcher? I, I mean, I was I watched it and I was tuned in. You know, we I we, we've gotten to a place where we're judging these movies based on how much we look at Twitter feeds. So, <laughs> you know, I I wasn't really using my phone that much, and I thought there was there was a semblance of a plot. Yeah, it was pretty obvious to see where it was going to go. The ending was absurdly abrupt, but I, I mean. Yeah, I, I I liked the premise, and um, I thought Keanu did okay. <laughs> I don't think it was it was a little it, it was a little forced. Yeah, you know, I was like really thrown off by him trying to be like uh, evil. I guess like him trying to be like a murderer. I couldn't I couldn't really get on board with that, and like the weird the the weird like dance thing that he was doing in the final scenes. Uh-huh. It just, it wasn't there. But I, I mean, I'd, I'd probably watch it again. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> I don't, I, yeah, not like right now. But I'm saying like at some point, if it was on. But like if I you would, went on another would, Keanu podcast or something like that, what is the? <laughs> if I if I had to watch it again, I would. <laughs> so you've you've all really made thoughtful points about this and i feel a little ill-equipped i'm i'm sitting here i'm nodding i'm considering i'm thinking i'm making these connections as well uh i don't think it's ultimately going to change how i feel about this movie um but i went in thinking in in my mind that keanu was the odd man out i was like he's on he's living on another planet in this movie and just by hearing what you have both said about it i'm like oh wait everyone else is wrong keanu was on the correct wavelength i mean i wouldn't even say that he was on the correct wavelength but i think he was closer than anyone else that worked on this movie yeah that that's that sounds right and i think thematically too like you can look at like the this not just anything to do with the actors but all of the the references to watching and the things that the that this movie was trying to do with like uh really trying to show a society that's so wrapped up in in itself that it can't notice things that are right in front of it mm-hmm. which was a theme that it tried to bring up again and again and again and it never quite hit yeah it was just so lazy it was so badly done it was so um you know it, it either felt it felt both shoehorned in and really over the top <laughs> and, and and it also didn't feel like it went anywhere and and it just felt like one of those things that was like well maybe if they if they reference this enough time this enough times this movie will seem deep um and i think that that just speaks to to how muddled this film was overall. Mm. And there's only so much, if you're an actor in that situation, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. Like, I think he said later that he didn't even realize that his part was going to be that big. So if I were him, I'd just be, like, I would be confused. If I were on this set, watching this thing unfold, <laughs> trying to figure out what my, whether I was a starring role or whether I was a, you know, supposed to be a supporting role. Like, I think, given all of that that confusion, he did a really, really great job. Yeah, I agree. I, I did write in my notes the first, as soon as I knew what was going on, the first thing that I wrote down as I was watching this is that it does seem like a movie from an alternate timeline escaped into our timeline because in what universe would you put James Spader as the cop and Keanu Reeves as the creepy killer? <laughs> I just don't ever see the casting panning out that way in a normal, like, what I know of both of those mm. actors, even in the 90s and early 2000s. But I definitely think that this is a problematic movie from its 
not the casting is not the issue so much as the direction and and the the production around it is definitely hampering everything that anyone's trying to do. There are a couple things to keep in mind that that may have hamstrung this a little bit and Whitney you just touched on them. So this was this director's first film and it was also mm-hmm. the f- essentially the first writing credit for at least two of the four writers on this thing, the two most high credited, like screenplay and story by both of their first forays into like a major motion picture. Uh, And I think a lot of those rough edges show in a lot of ways, like technically I give it up for a, a director and a production team that really has a has a vision and they go for it. So like if you think about the mm-hmm. technical parts of this movie, right? We're talking about Dutch angles and tilt shift and slow shutter speed and all these other mm-hmm. visual flourishes. Well, and, and every time that the that Keanu is like watching, but you don't see <laughs> yes. Keanu when it goes to that like VCR effect. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. that was annoying. Which is which is wildly dated, yeah. but is a very strong choice that is made. Uh, that I don't feel serves the picture at all. No. Yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot going on here. That's exactly, I, I appreciate they went for it. Now, I was just going to say a comment on the pacing because the pacing just drives me crazy in this film. It's like, it's so slow for so long. And then you have these like really slapdash, like frenetic action sequences followed by really, really, really slow, long sequences of people just sort of walking around and being watched. <laughs> It's so it's so annoying. It's so it, it it doesn't know whether it's fast or slow, and it's trying to be both at once, and it's just it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, very uneven, very uneven. Is am I the only one that thinks that this movie absolutely wasted Marissa Tomei? Just uh, like a talent, oh, yes, hundred percent. Oh God, the, the oh, yeah, she was fantastic, but she was just completely. It was a nothing yeah. part. It was a nothing part, and I think that she. Had, like I said, not only did she have more chemistry with Keanu than Keanu had with James Spader, which is wild considering this, the story, she also had the only chemistry with James Spader out of anyone in the cast. And it's like, if you're there and you see this happening, make her more integral to the story. Yeah. If you're on set and you see her having chemistry with all of your leads and no one else is is playing well off one another, <laughs> I don't see why you wouldn't make her more of a of a... Even if she's not in more scenes between multiple people, just like making her give her scenes walking down the street past like the the girl who's asking for money yeah. or whatever, like just put her in more to give more of her oomph to, to what's going on, because I think she was wildly underutilized. Well, that also, like, she was wildly underutilized in general at this point in mm. her career. That's true, too. So it's very possible that she was hired to be, you know, sort of a placeholder without, and no one was really taking her seriously. Yeah, that could be it. And I again, think that's also very true. Yeah, it could also just fall into this, it, it, like, first-time filmmaker also not seeing, not making these connections, right? In retro, you know, I'm sure it's very hectic and crazy. You're, like, trying to manage all this stuff. You're like, let's just get this thing made or whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to introduce one tiny uh, bit of uh, trivia I found out while researching this movie. Obviously, I'm not going to ask you any about this, but Keanu was legally obligated to do this movie because someone forged his signature on the contract. What? And it was such a good forgery that he couldn't prove that he didn't sign it. So he had to do this film. 
or he was going to get sued. And that blows my goddamn mind to hear about that. Mm-hmm. Wow. On the other hand, if you really wanted to like like insist that you were that you had nothing to do with 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 you had no agency whatsoever over getting this part in this movie that everybody hated, that's a pretty good excuse. <laughs> totally. Right. For sure. Absolutely. 100% agree. It's a story that came up multiple times and I was like, I got to see here and it's like, oh, it's on the Guardian and it's also here and here. And I'm like, I wow, it's mm-hmm. pretty crazy. I also just on on the the realm of like talking about Keanu's performance and talking about how critically he seemed to get the biggest um like bums rush when it came to how people felt about this movie. There is one line from the New York Times review that I really wanted to say about this. Um, so it's by A.O. Scott and it's called Stopped by a Serial Killer, He Pursues Talk Therapy. There's one sentence in this review that is glorious and amazing. And it is, Mr. Reeves conveys his villainy by enunciating every syllable with exquisite care and inflecting his utterances with the fastidious sarcasm of a surfer James Mason. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I thought a that was... James Mason. A surfer James Mason <laughs> is not a terrible way to describe early Keanu. Okay. I was into it. I just thought that was such a hilarious sentence. I had to... Sh- I couldn't not share it. But I also... It also makes me wonder if A.O. Scott had actually, like associated Keanu with anything since Point Break. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed with the surfer thing. Like, I mean, Keanu has a very, a certain intonation that is very the, that whoa surfer laid back kind of a thing. But I also don't think that there's much of that in this movie at all. Right. But again, I I think at this point in his career, his reputation precedes him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit like Marissa to me, like you, you, you sort of project onto, I, and we see this throughout history, like just looking at the way that that films are received and the way celebrities, like the way actors are received in these their parts. They're sort of like the people reviewing them often see what they want to see because of what the the actor's reputation is, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it's only later when we really can sort of take a take a, a breath and stop and go, OK, wait, that performance actually wasn't that at all. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think early Keanu, like especially well, mid, really mid career Keanu, like post Speed and post uh, Matrix, like post his big hits. Like I think we've had to do that repeatedly with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so too. Do we uh, do we have any other high level thoughts about the Watcher? Uh-uh. No, that's everything for me. I liked the soundtrack. Yeah. Pretty eerie. I liked the opening. I liked that I, I was I got a kick out of how matrixy the opening credits were. And so that- I made a note about that. The fact that Rob Zombie's Dragula is in it again when literally just a couple of episodes ago I was laughing about forgetting that Dragula by Rob Zombie was in the Matrix. Here we are again with it being like the opening soundtrack, and I laughed a lot when that came on. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh the soundtrack is so I felt like the soundtrack was very very um antithetical to the tone of the the, the no, movie the itself. The only two <laughs> songs that I noticed in this score that were actual songs cuz most of it was score. There are two yeah. songs that I noticed were Rob Zombie's Dragula and um Six Underground. Oh, yeah, yeah, I noticed the Six Underground too, and I was like, "Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, Sneaker Pimps. What is a Sneaker Pimps song doing in this movie?" Uh, exactly, <laughs> and I um, forgot 
A, how much of a cornerstone of action and horror movie Rob Zombie was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And B, Sneaker Pimps, the only other thing I can think of that Six Underground was on a soundtrack of is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's that era. It is that, that era. That era. But also, these the like, what does this film have to have, have in common with Buffy? Nothing, absolutely nothing. nothing except not that even close. It, <laughs> it's not even it's not even remotely aimed at the right uh, at the same uh, audience demographic. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the soundtrack was the few songs that I did register were very incongruous with what the movie seemed to be about. I think the movie was incongruous with itself most of the time. Honestly, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> right. I would. I didn't want to say it. I'm glad someone did. <laughs> we, we did get a really good gif of staring Keanu out of it. Yes. Like, when, like every time he turns and looks at the camera, and it's so it's the worst and also the best. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know what this says about me. Uh, make of this what you will. But we've talked a lot about when I do and do not find Keanu Reeves attractive, oh, no. and uh, I did in fact find Keanu Reeves. Oh. Very attractive in this. Um, <laughs> you you like the hefty, yeah. a little bit of hefty. I like do. The I like the Keanu. I do. Chain reaction <laughs> is still my favorite Keanu, appearance wise. Uh, yeah. And then this is, I think, the next most attractive that I have found him. Wow. I like him in period clothes. I like Tune In Tomorrow, and I like A Walk in the Clouds. But I think that this is my second most attractive Keanu thus far. Hmm. I got to put that in the big data machine. That's what I yeah. got to do. We got to keep track. I think that the hair is too over the top for me. I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> join you there. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. I think that, I think we covered everything. Mm-hmm. That was amazing. That was really something else. We did it. Good job. Let's, it's time. It's time. For the interstellar favorite. Oh, it is the highlight of the week. Take us there, Jack. Pop quiz, asshole. There was a time when I had the need to learn from you. Oh, what the hell do you know? Lose! I don't lose! I win! She's got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. <laughs> Pop Quiz Asshole is our very own Quizzo show where the host, in this case myself, Andrew, asks the contestants each three questions worth one point. If one of us gets it wrong, the other player has a chance to steal. I'm really not sure how this is going to work since there's three of us, but normally it's just two. We'll, we'll figure it out. The host may also add bonus questions at the end. I did not because there was very little to go on mm, with this movie. Shocking. Mm. I want to just uh, make up last week. There was a slight miscalculation made at the end of last week's episode for Evan's score. Oh, I've yeah. adjusted it. Currently, Whitney has the lead, a very commanding lead at 56. Ev has 36, bumping him to second place. I have 35. Yes. Asia is new to the board. This is just for bragging rights. <laughs> That's basically what it is. <laughs> So she could mop the floor with both of you. I have no idea. I have no idea. I I seriously doubt that. (laughs) I wouldn't put money on me in this scenario. So it's anyone's game at this point. Hmm. The important thing is I have three questions for each of you. Okay. You actually pulled the rug out from underneath me with the the Dragula Matrix reference. That was my first question. It was going to be a a softball to Asia. That's okay, though. That's okay. I came up with another one really quickly. That's not nearly as interesting, but... Uh, numbers-based. So, (laughs) Asia, are you ready? Uh, sure. Okay, here we go. What was this film's opening box office number? And I'm going to give you three choices here, okay? Was it $4 million, $9 million, or $17 million? 
17. Mm. Oh, ah. no. Uh, do we, are we going to steal in this one? Because I, I just, uh, eventually someone gets it right by process of elimination. Um, what are we thinking here, No, team? we can skip it. Okay. It was... Oh, no. Oh. No, no, no. no. Get it can't work. Nine million. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to get in there. I'm just going to get in there and do it. I had to do that. I'm forging ahead. I think it was over 10 for some reason. I don't know why. I was, for, for some reason, I was thinking it was over 10 million the first weekend. So nine is close. That's definitely close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So I guess I'm just going to. Here we go. All right. So next up, I have uh, Whitney. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. I told you already that someone forged his signature, right? Mm -hmm. Who was it? Ooh. Oh. Because this person has, it, it has been discovered. Keanu found out. So was it his oh. agent, his assistant, or a studio executive? Wow, neat. Hmm. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's a good question. What if they took all of his earnings back because they found out it was fraudulent? I'm going to say agent. That's who I thought, those evil people. But no, it was not that. Asia, Evan, you want to try to steal real quick from uh, the other person? I would steal and say his assistant. Nice. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the assistant snuck in there, <laughs> opened his mail, signed the contract. It's like, oh, this will be good wow. for him. Why <laughs> was, was that like good intentions, you think? Like, I believe in Keanu. and I think he could bring a lot to this role. I, I don't know. it wouldn't be malicious, right? I don't know. It, it sounds like a little, a little Stephen Kingy. Like he's trying it's, to manipulate. Yeah, it sounds Keanu's super career. Stephen Kingy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Delightful. Delightful. All right, Ev, you're up. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. So, given the fallout of what we just discussed with this contract, Keanu had to sign another contract that said uh, it, he was obligated not to badmouth the film or its production for how long? Six months, three years, or one year? He's not allowed to badmouth. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> six months, three years, or one year? I'm gonna... S uh, six months. Ugh. Who's stealing? I'm going to steal and say a year. That's it. You've all stole from each other. Incredible. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. Wow. All right. That's crazy. I guess for like VHS sales, it's not just about box office. What was the turnaround on movies back then? I feel like it was way longer yeah, to get, it was. To get yeah, out. It to... was at least six months. Yeah. To... yeah. Maybe there was an action figure, too. <laughs> The homoerotic serial killer action figure. Right. In the toy aisle near you. They'll all they'll all love it. Okay. <laughs> Asia, this one's for you. Oh no. This movie's name was changed to The Watcher after a competing property was being developed with the original name. So given that, what was the original name of this film? You have three choices. Was it the Wire, Driven, or Survivor? Um, I think you, uh, Driven? I'm going to say Driven. Nice. Uh, 
That was a good <laughs> question. I would have I would have died if it had been the wire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was I was like it actually the wire came out like two years later, but I was like, it's close enough for people's memory might be a little foggy. We'll see. Yeah. Driven was right. a, a two thousand Sylvester Stallone film. And it beat this to oh, market. Wow. So they were like, got to change the name. That's so interesting because like, wh- what would Driven have even referred to? Would it have referred to Spader? Would it have, would it have referred to I'm here um, shrugging. Because- I'm shrugging so hard right now. I have no idea. Yeah. I almost sprained my just, neck. It's when, what part of this film was Driven? It, it's when Spader <laughs> takes a police car. That's that's the, the only part. <laughs> got it. And crashes it yeah. like an idiot. <laughs> Bad, badly driven police car is the yeah, full title. That's it. <laughs> badly driven would be a great title for the movie. <laughs> yes, it would. Oh, it's perfect. Okay. Whitney, are you ready? I don't know, but go for it. Okay. I want you to pick the right ending to this statement. All right. I'm going to give you a couple, give you the statement, then give you the answers. The director was good friends with Keanu before this film, and they actually met dot, dot, dot. Through Dogstar, through a motorcycle club, or on the set of Dracula? Oh, that's a really good question, Andrew. <laughs> this is 100% guessing, oh, but sure. I'm going to Go guess Dogstar. Oh, God. <laughs> filmed Dogstar concerts. This director filmed Dogstar concerts. <laughs> oh, my that's God. That's met. ridiculous. And he's like, hey, we should do a movie together. And here we go. <laughs> oh man! So you're saying if I wanna if I wanna become a, a film director, it's really easy. Um, and direct at least one film, <laughs> <laughs> possibly only one band. film. Yeah. Okay. Fine. With, with that has Got an it. actor that has an A list actor. Yeah. So whatever yep. band you know, whatever you want to do, maybe you want to. So like. What? Who? Which, which actors have bands? Like Russell Crowe, he had a band. Right. <laughs> Did he? Do, uh, Bru- Bruce Willis and the Accelerators, of course. You could do uh, mm-hmm. 30 Seconds to Mars, Jared Leto, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. That might be the one. That's it. Right? That might be the one. All right. Yep. Thank you. Could be a, could be a cool career path. Um, what's his name? What's his name from all the Wes Anderson movies is in Phantom Planet. Oh, uh, Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman, yeah. He might be better to work with than Jared Leto, I'm just saying. I'll, pu- I'll put that out there. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe you could just become a fly to the Concords groupie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Perfect. All right. Ev, yeah. are you ready? Mm-hmm. This is James Spader's and Keanu's only movie together, but they've also shared the same female co star in movies which they were top billed. I want you to name that co star. All right. Okay. You got to think about James Spader movies. You got to think about Keanu Reeves movies, who they had in common. Was it? Winona Ryder, Charlize Theron, or Carrie Ann Moss? Um, uh, okay. <laughs> Whoops, I pressed that by accident. Yes. You did not get the... <laughs> he did not get that point. I protest. Uh, yeah, uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Cool. Who's stealing? Cool, 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 cool. I'll steal it. I will guess Winona. Ooh. It was uh, it was Charlize. It was Charlize. Keanu and Charlize in Sweet November, and James Spader and Charlize in Two Days in the Valley. Also acceptable, weirdly enough, Lori Lachlan. They were both they both co-starred along Lori Lachlan in the eighties. Keanu twice, which is crazy. 
thrice? Twice. At least twice. So there you go. All right. Asia, here we go. Keanu was nominated for a Razzie Award. (laughs) He was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actor in this film, but ultimately lost it to who? All right. Oh, God. Okay. Was it Arnold Schwarzenegger for his role in The Sixth Day, Barry Pepper for his role in Battlefield Earth, or... Stephen Baldwin for his role in The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Um, who was the Battlefield Earth guy? That would be Barry Pepper. Bear, I've never even heard of this person. No. I think it's him. You did it! Oh, nice. Unbelievable. It's gotta be, like, anytime, anytime you're competing against Battlefield Earth for worst anything, it's going to be Battlefield Earth, right? That's got to be it. Probably. <laughs> that would have been my guess, too, for that exact reason. But that's also why I threw in the real, real nominee, Stephen Baldwin, the Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas. How could he have not been worse than this Barry Pepper fellow, who I don't know <laughs> who that is either? I don't know. I don't know. Well, apparently, like, the fact that we've never heard of this Barry Pe- Pepper guy again... <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, Stephen Baldwin is hard though because we we've only heard of him for the wrong reasons. Yeah, so. sure. Yeah, I was gonna say, what was the last good thing you heard about Stephen Baldwin? No, none ever. I don't think it's ever happened. So yeah, all right. I can't think of a single time that I've heard Stephen Baldwin's name for good reason. He was in Firefly, so he was popular for a hot minute, right? Was that, mm-hmm. or am I thinking of Adam Baldwin? I get them mis- mixed up all the time. Adam yeah. Baldwin. One of them is a Baldwin. Okay. Oh, yeah. One of them is not a good, is not a Baldwin, and one of them is a Baldwin, but a, like, yeah. So. <laughs> which one of them, which one of them is the Gamer Gator? Is that Steven or is that Adam? No. I, d- no I don't idea. know. I My Baldwin trivia is severely lacking. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean for this to take a dark turn. It's worth a Google. No, yeah, that's um, a good question, though. Uh, <laughs> are there any good Baldwins I remaining? Think... I don't know. No, not really. The Baldwins are, are you know, more, more missed than hit. I think Adam Baldwin is the Gamer Gator, though. Okay, yeah. If, I think the Firefly, if he's the Firefly guy, yeah. He is the, the Firefly Adam... guy. Yeah. Is he, I, he's not, he's the one that's a non-bald one, right? Like he's just. Correct. Re, he's not a relative. Okay. Right. Correct. <laughs> so the Royal Baldwins are at this point, as far as we know, not members of the all right. So. Good hey, as know. far as we know, but yeah. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Whitney. Yeah. I'm I sorry. I'm, a, I'm in a whole Baldwin mindset now. Let's get back to yeah. Keanu. Let's go. All I'm right. ready. We established that this movie opens with nine to nine million dollars, okay? Yes. I'm gonna ask you this question. How many weeks did this movie enjoy the top seat at the box office? Alright? Ooh. Huh. Zero, four, or two? I'm gonna say two. Mm. Oh my god! It beat a bunch of movies two weeks in a row! It dropped off 36% week over week also. And it still somehow kept the top spot. Craziness. Wow. And this one was a little bit of a stretch, but I saved it for Ev so that no one else had to go through this. Hey, thanks. Here we go. (laughs) Including The Watcher. And this is just based on my my research here. I could be very wrong about this, but you have to just go with the answer that I came up with. So keep that in mind also. Including this movie. How many Keanu movies explicitly state that they are set in or around 
the city of Chicago? Whoa. Is it two, Whoa. nine, or four? Oh, come on. Those are so close together. They're not. Uh, two, nine, two, nine, nine and four? <laughs> I was hoping for like two, three hundred, or zero. <laughs> Those are so close together. Um, all right. Two, nine, four. Alright, so we're talking about like 63 movies. Um, yeah, sure. Total. So, Chicago. I'm gonna go with four. <laughs> yes! What? <laughs> Beautiful bastard! I got. I came up with this, obviously, The Watcher, The Lake House, Chain Reaction, and Hardball. So there you go. Chain, wow. Chain Reaction and this were the only two that I could think of. Yeah, well, that's why I put two. I was trying Ooh. to be sneaky, but Whitney mm-hmm. saw through my ruse. Mm. Oh, my gosh. I stopped keeping score because that was a lot of fun, and the Baldwin thing threw me off. I'll figure out what everybody has next week. <laughs> but that was awesome. Asia, thank you for joining us on that. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, we aim to, we aim to teach as well as, as, as learn. So there we go. I feel very educated now. <laughs> you know, a little bit more. And that is adding onto a pile of Keanu knowledge that is quite tall already. <laughs> uh, are we ready to get into this thing? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Let's let's bang it out. If y- y'all have notes, please add them. I'm basically working off of the Wikipedia summary because I was watching this movie. I feel like I probably stopped 10 to 12 times to like, oh, I think I might have to do the dishes. I got to get a drink. I, you know, this movie did not keep me engaged for very long at a time. So. Mm-hmm. As we discussed, all right, this movie opens to Keanu Reeves dancing to Dragula, mm-hmm. one of the most memorable scenes set to film, mm-hmm. easily, easily. <laughs> ever. So watch that for sure. Watch that part. But let me give you a little backstory. So in Los Angeles, we have Joel Campbell. That's played by James Spader. He's an FBI special agent. Uh, we find out through the course of these really weird kind of vignettes that are it's hard to explain, like slow shutter speed, the camera's doing some weird movement and stuff. James Spader has really bad hair. That's the only way I was able to tell that he was younger James Spader in these things. His hair was awful. He is like moments away from saving a young woman from what we find out later is a, is a fire. Mm-hmm. In the process, he's chasing this serial killer played by Keanu, who was going to go through this entire ritual that he has. He has to make this really tough choice. Uh, ultimately, the woman dies and Keanu escapes. So, you know, double whammy. Loose, loose. Yeah. He quits being a special agent and moves to Chicago. So in the next series of scenes, we see what is going to be like a raid for David Allen Griffin, played by Keanu Reeves, the serial killer. And James Spader is narrating this thing, saying, it's never as easy as you think. You never kick the door down and they're just sitting there waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we're seeing this ritual happen where Keanu's doing this dance and a young woman is very clearly under duress. She's tied up, her bound and gagged and all that sort of thing. And then eventually we we come to find that he he murders her. Mm. We then cut to uh, a therapist office. Uh, James Spader is seeing his therapist Polly played by Marissa Tomei. And uh, uh, he's giving a little bit of insight into David's character, his methods and stuff like that. And then we also find out that he certainly doesn't blame himself for these things, as you'll hear. Best you can do is hope they fuck up and do what you can to be there when they do. And then blame yourself for the killings. 
Oh, no, I blame the asshole who did them. This man's whole life is about killing. He studies it. He knows forensics. He understands police procedure. He prepares methodically so as not to leave any evidence at the scene. We get a glimpse of Spader's character's life. It is not great. And he also suffers from migraines. And this is where Wikipedia tells me that these migraines are guilt-induced, which, uh, interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As a chronic migraine sufferer, I felt a little peeved at that point. <laughs> right. Okay, good. I just wanted mm -hmm. to make sure. I was like, I don't... Yeah, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, as someone who has migraines that have nothing to do with my emotions, uh, seeing yeah. them portrayed in the media as... Being all in your head was not super fun for me. Right. Well, it's I know also that... confusing because the migraines seem to give him strobe lighting effects. Yeah. Yes. yes. Like, which it's normally the opposite. Normal. <laughs> but but they, I don't think that they knew that. It was very, I, I, trying to figure out what his actual diagnosis is, 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 uh, is fun. Yeah. Right. I, it's super weird. And I couldn't ever figure it out and it's very i don't know it was so strange to me because not nothing seemed to go with any other of his like side effects his the migraines were so it was so random when the migraines appeared and what made them appear and it was funny to me yeah sometimes he woke up in the middle of one and i, I don't know what the thing is where he he gives himself a, a syringe into the stomach yeah I, I, is that a real thing and it was all like bruised and Ugh. Yeah, his stomach looks like it's a like it's a pod person. Mm. Yeah. Like, it's so strange. Like it does. It's like an it's like an alien egg. Like I don't know. <laughs> but um, I yeah, I I was really the first time I saw this movie. It took me like forever to figure out that like the syringe was actually supposed to be connected to the headache. Right. Like I couldn't figure out. Like I was like, is he addicted? Like yeah. is he on? Like is he addicted to like shooting up pain pills that he's somehow gotten into like a liquid form? Uh -huh. And that some. I, I, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it was strange. And it doesn't help that he plays like everything like a junkie. Like he plays it like he's a junkie. Right. <laughs> it does. You see his apartment. It's like a goddamn mess. No food in the fridge. Like clearly. We're all focusing on the right aspects of this film out of the gate, right? What's he doing to his stomach? What are these migraines? What is going on here? It's very distracting. Yes. I was just annoyed because, like, if it was for migraines, why is he, like, acting like if he doesn't get this syringe in him, his life's going to end? Like, <laughs> yeah, if you, it was. If you have a migraine, you want to do nothing but stay in one place with your eyes shut and an ice pack on your head. You're not like running mm -hmm. into a room making as much noise as possible, and yeah, no. When, when he got up and struggled for the the syringe and the medicine, I thought it was like a, a diabetic thing. Yeah, it seemed like yeah, a. Me too. It, it seems like that. Yes, it does. It does not seem like a migraine thing. Or else I thought he was coming off of a really bad trip and he was trying to get himself high again. Oh, so right. he could, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, honestly, you just don't have any context for that scene. And it reads like he's a, like a starving, deprived, deranged junkie. We then get this monologue from Keanu's character, David. He's he's just finished a kill. He's talking to himself in the mirror, but he's recalling these flashbacks that we're seeing Spader have where he expresses that he, it was exhilarating for him. They have this connection. He was doing this for him. And this is a theme that continues to come up throughout this film. Why did you turn away from me? Why was it so hard for you to accept? Why did you know I did 
were so close to me that night. I remember clearly what I felt when I heard your footsteps falling behind me. Pride. I thought it would keep us together forever. For me, it was our finest moment. I can still see the flames. So we see uh, Spader uh, out eating some Vietnamese food, and then he eventually wanders back to his apartment. Uh, there's cops uh, around. You know, he very quickly assesses, assesses that the situation was a murder because of, you know, protocol. He's used to that kind of thing. He finds out that uh, this woman who lived in his apartment building has been murdered, and he's not paying much attention until he opens his mail. He gets this, like, FedEx envelope we saw earlier he paid no attention to uh inside that envelope is a picture of the woman that had been murdered and this was sent to his apartment three days before the murder so now he's like he's back in detective mode he brings this information to the cops the guy he talked to the night he came home with the murder and this guy's special he's an fbi special agent ibby that's what we call him and he's like look you got to come back into the fray you got to help us catch this guy it's clearly the same guy you were dealing with He's obviously resistant to this idea at first, but as you know, as we know, with these sort of things, he eventually comes around. So he gets this phone call from Keanu. David Griffin is the is the name, the the last known alias that he has gone by. And he reveals that he has followed him to Chicago and he wants to rebuild this relationship that they had. He's he has it in his mind that these two are. They're star-crossed. They, they are in it to win it. Mm -hmm. Wait, wait. I think you have to go back to the phone call because he, he calls him and he's like, hi, it's me. <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs> think that was important, the way that he's like, hey. Hey. It's me. He's like, hey. What you doing? And Spader, and Spader is like, hi. And then he's like, oh, hi. <laughs> it's very like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, okay, what the hell? Okay, sure. Hello. Hi, it's me. Me? Me who? It's freaking cold here. Why'd you move here? What the fuck do you want from me? You hardly leave your apartment. And when you do, it's to eat at that same terrible Vietnamese restaurant night after night. You seem so bored. I was expecting a warmer welcome. I didn't fucking ask you here, did I? The guy they replaced you with. I tried to make it work, but we just didn't see eye to eye at all. I was going to quit the game entirely, but then I thought Chicago's not so bad. At least you didn't move to New Jersey, right? Yeah. On this same phone call, this is where Keanu's character, David Allen Griffin, establishes the rules for essentially what the rest of the plot of the movie will be. And here's that. I know your job is hard, Joe. So I'm willing to take steps to try and make things work between us. What are you talking about? The photos, Joel. I'll send you a picture. And you can have a day to try to find it. I'll give you till nine o'clock. What do you say, Joel? I say I should have moved to New Jersey, asshole. <laughs> Good night, Joel. Uh, this is kind of what we had discussed earlier, the central premise of the movie where Keanu's character is intently watching one person, but like no one else sees this person. It's like a kind of a commentary on society, right? 
So Campbell's working together with the FBI, the rest of the team, to get the word out about this woman before we hit this deadline. Uh, and I thought this part was was pretty well done. They they did everything where I was like, okay, I hope they give this to the news, and the news puts this out. Uh, and they it felt pretty realistic. Like you know, on the on the evening news, she gets precisely ten seconds, <laughs> right? Then they're mm-hmm. like, ah, and over to the weather or whatever. I was like, oh, that, that feels about right. That feels about right. So long story short. By the time they figure out who this woman is, uh, Griffin's there, and she's she's dead. Overall, I really liked the procedural part of this. I thought it was really well done, how they're trying to figure this out and save these women. Really, really straightforward, but I, I, I like the procedural parts here. Then a couple really interesting and cool things happen in quick succession. The first is Spader is working with the FBI. They're eating at this Vietnamese restaurant that he frequents. He gets the hunch that they might be being watched right now, and that pans out and proves to be true. So there's like this really huge car chase with Keanu. It's like Spader is chasing him in a car. He gets into a small accident. It's it's actually a little bit tense, but ultimately he ends up getting away. Then we cut to the next day, presumably. Keanu is stalking or following Spader, because again, Spader doesn't know what he looks like. So he follows Spader's character to therapy, sees that he goes in to see Polly, and then kind of proceeds down this hallway very inconspicuously. So they are so close, like they're on the same elevator together. And that was really, really neat to see. So now we continue the game. So it's the very next day, we get this photo, same deal, 9pm deadline. So this was the woman, correct me if I'm wrong, the first one was the Photoshop woman, right? The one who worked in the... Mm-hmm. Yep. And this one is the... Was this the homeless girl? Well, no, well, first there was the there was the brunette woman, and then there was the, pho- the Photoshop The brunette, woman. right. And th- so this one would be the photo, the one who works in the Photoshop. Yep. And then, right. Right, there's the one who lives in James Spader's building. Yep. Got it. She then was the first one, yeah. Then there's the photo store girl in the mall. Then Correct. there's the the girl who's begging for change on the street. The low rent Courtney Cox, yes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> well done. Well done. Dig it. Okay. Not to take up too much time about what happens to the homeless girl, the one who was begging for change. She also dies, but she was actually very smart about the whole situation. I thought yep. she handled herself pretty well up through the end. She she sensed the danger and followed through with it. They, uh, it ultimately leads to a chase between the FBI and Keanu. There's like a helicopter involved, all sorts of police. It ends with the explosion of a gas station. I thought it was a pretty well done scene overall. This is all coming to a head, I promise. So the next day we receive another photograph. This one is aimed directly at Spader. It is the picture of the woman who died from the fire in Los Angeles, back when he was working there, this woman named Lisa. Why this is important is because he moved to Chicago to live near her grave, presumably. He he visits her at least once in this film, so you have to assume it's a pretty regular thing that he does. Keanu, the watcher, followed him to this grave, so he, he knew that uh, was kind of a, a trigger point for him. So the next photo he receives is of Lisa, and James Spader knows kind of instinctively what to do. He heads to the gravesite. Mm. 
we are we're at this grave. We're at Lisa's grave. Griffin, David, whatever we want to call them. That's Keanu and Spader. They're having a little back and forth. It is brought up that um, Griffin has uh, he has Marissa Tomei. He's like, look, you're, you, I know you want to shoot me. You want to kill me right here. But if you do that, things are going to get really bad for your therapist. James Spader, you know, he basically surrenders. He hands him the gun. He's like, take me to her. Uh, and then we, we, we can talk. Keanu is amenable to this idea. He takes the gun. They get in the car. They drive to this warehouse location on the river where he is holding Polly. We ultimately find out, not too much of a spoiler to say that he is trying to recreate their their big meeting with the fire, with Lisa and all this stuff. It's this tableau that he set up. We'll get there. But on the way, Keanu, he, he talks to Spader about how he thinks he's like a good friend. So I just want to play some audio from that. It's something that Asia so eloquently brought up earlier in her review, and it, it, it's definitely worth a listen. You're like a brother to me. Did you know that? Do you have any real brothers or sisters? What the f... What is that? I'm trying to have a real conversation. And you're psychoanalyzing. What? Dr. Polly now? I was just curious. Look at me when I talk to you. You're trying to control this situation. Stop trying to control this situation. Can't you just leave your job out of this just this once? I'm telling you. I think you're spending too much time with that Polly bitch. What do you need? It's up to me to try and get that and make an exchange. Anything you need for Miss Beelman's safety. What I need is you. So we arrive at the warehouse. Keanu escorts Spader up. We come in, we see this tableau that I had mentioned where... Polly, Marissa Tomei's character, is sitting basically in a pool of kerosene, surrounded by candles. She's next to gas tanks. It's like a bad situation for any person to be in. Keanu knocks Spader out. He restrains him. All the while, in Spader's pocket, uh, he had actually just used his cell phone to call the police. So they've been tracking his whereabouts. So we know that like help is on route. We don't know how quickly they'll get there. Spader says something, I'm going to need y'all to help me out with this one, that makes, it makes Keanu angry, and then he goes over and begins to strangle Polly, and then Spader responds with, thank you, but I'm not, I, I'm spacing on why he, he said that. Before that happens, uh, during their speech, during, like, basically, uh, after he's tied up, uh, Keanu makes this speech to him, um, that's sort of a variant on the you need me, yeah. um, we're yin yang thing, and then he, he makes, he makes, uh, Marissa Tomei, tell uh <laughs> tell James Spader that um that they're defined by each other like he sh- basically he he tries to to force her to get her to use her psycho her psychological expertise to confirm and validate his feeling that they need each other yeah and then he comes back and then because of that I think his idea is that he saved James Spader's life by giving him purpose and meaning and so he comes back to him and he's like tell me thank you for saving your yeah. life and James Spader's like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> and so he doesn't say anything. And that's what prompts him to go directly threaten Marissa Tomei, which prompts James Spader to be like, thank you, because he's trying to get him to leave Marissa Tomei alone. Got it. Yeah, because right. Keanu had gotten her notes. So I think he was actually making her admit that she had actually written down that they needed each other. 
Yeah, or rec- recorded it in one of the yeah. sessions, some, something along those lines. He had all, he had access to all that information. So <laughs> he he mumbled. He's like, "Thank you." Griffin, you know, he leaves Marissa Tomei alone for a little bit. He gets real close. He's like, hey, what did you say over there, pal? <laughs> and he's like, thank you. And then he stabs him in the neck, <laughs> like, like with just a, yeah. a pen or whatever he had in his pocket. Uh, and then he shoots him. Uh, he, the, the gun drops. There's a little bit of a scuffle. He shoots him in the shoulder with a gun that was just up on the wall. Like we were in this old warehouse and there's like a shotgun that's just kind of propped up on the wall over here he grabs it he shoots him well that was the that was the it's literally Chekhov's gun yeah literally (laughs) that was attached to the door that was on a that was on like a trip or like a booby trap line that's what it that's what he disconnected when they walked into that room because it was pointed at her so if anybody like barged in the door it would go off and kill her okay so that makes a lot of sense i thought that that tripwire was somehow connected to the candles but being connected to like a shotgun yeah. makes a lot more sense yes long story short you know spader gets the better of keanu's character he rescues marissa tomei they jump out of the window into a nearby river right and we get some mm-hmm. really really bang up special effects here Oof, that's like only notes in my notes aside from the very first few notes uh was woof that explosion <laughs> cgi so bad it's all the wrong colors yeah that was some of the worst cgi i think we've seen in any keanu movie yet and mm-hmm. we saw movies from 10 years ago and before mm-hmm. yeah we watched johnny mnemonic team come on yeah yeah how can you have worse effects than johnny mnemonic mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Did you see but that dolphin? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Jonesy. Um, there was a moment where I, I thought that Keanu was going to get out of this. He had been shot. He had fell into kerosene, caught on fire, mm-hmm. been engulfed in an explosion, and still had the wherewithal to also jump out of the window into the river. And I was like, no way. Come on. Yeah, I was going to no. be mad. I was going to be real mad. He was real dead at the end, though. Real dead. So He's a bubbly face. Right. It's not great. It also doesn't make sense, though, because the whole thing is that he's trying to, like, the, the movie keeps trying to mirror them and keeps trying to mirror the initial, um, what was her name? Laura? Um, the woman who, the woman who James Vader couldn't save back in L.A. Oh, Lisa. Oh, yeah, Lisa. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lisa. 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 So the fact that he didn't die in the fire just seems really like a missed, like, moment of plot symmetry there. Definitely. That's what I thought was going to happen. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And that would have cleared that would have cleared up most of the CGI problems. If there was just an explosion and we're like, oh, he's dead. And, you know, whatever. You're like, oh, now we don't have to do all this terrible CGI of a fiery yeah. person jumping out of a window. Also, real bad. At the end of the movie, Spader and Tomei are safe. Uh, they just, you know, they're in blankets. It's great. I Keanu's dead. I really thought there was going to be like uh, six months later. I really thought that was going to happen, but it was just, it, the ending just felt so abrupt. It was just kind of like, oh, all right. He, Count is dead, and they're, I guess, like they get the bullet out of his leg, and now they're, maybe there's a romance. It was just, I don't know. I felt like there needed to be another, like, two minutes of the movie to really close <laughs> right, it. Just a little bit more 
closure. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing that you're picking up on there is the fact that they cared so little about James Spader's character in the end. Like they made him the center point of uh, the centerpiece of the plot, but they didn't really give you yeah. anything about his personality mm-hmm. or his life. So, mm-hmm. and Keanu's Keanu's personality and persona really drove so much of the film that once he's dead, they didn't. Right. <laughs> I mean, the film just feels like no like good way to wrap it up. Flat. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Right, because we don't know anything. We don't know enough about James Spader to really care from that point on. Yep. So <laughs> yep. the writers are like, "Oh, we killed the most interesting character we had." <laughs> Shit. Um, Whoops. Yeah, that's the Watcher. That was it. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the thing we like to do uh, at the end of every one of these uh, wrap ups is, you know, th- just ask the question. Do you ultimately recommend this film as something you would say if someone else asks, should I watch The Watcher? <laughs> Asia, what are, you, what are you telling them? Should I watch The Watcher? Am I recommending it? If I'm recommending it ironically, then hell yes. <laughs> if I'm recommending it sincerely, then fuck no. Right. This is like a good, oh, like, awesome. imagine it's like a good friend of yours, right? They're like, you know what? I like Keanu Reeves. Then they definitely, should I watch they The Watcher? They would definitely want an ironic wreck. <laughs> Okay, good to know. Most of my friends would want the ironic wreck, I think. Perfect. So I'm going to say hell yeah. All right, there you go. Uh, Whitney, what are you thinking about this movie? Is it a recommend? I, it is definitely not a recommend unless you are coming to me asking for recommendations as now apparently a Keanu Reeves scholar, as we have all become. (laughs) Um, Because I think it's very interesting turning point in his career i think it had so much to do with how people viewed him for the next few years even with huge movies that came out after this i think that this is one of those formulaic things that like you look at keanu reeves and you look at bill and ted's excellent adventure and how many times that's referenced and how poorly critics thought of him after that and carried through Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure into later movies. I think this Mm -hmm. is so, if you're interested in Keanu Reeves and Keanu Reeves' career, it is a recommend. If you're looking for a good movie that surprises you in literally any way, it is not a recommend. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. All right. It's a good way to frame it. It's a good way to frame it. Mm -hmm. Ev, are you recommending this film? No, no, I don't think I'm going to tell anyone to go watch it i think i could just i think i i would say to them let me just tell you how it goes and you'll get you'll get the (laughs) same out of it let me tell you the movie i wish they made and (laughs) maybe that'll that'll be yeah i understand uh it's gonna be a no from me also uh unless you are on this journey with us in which case thank you for taking the 90 ish minutes to watch this movie uh, just to hear us talk about it. So mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, though, not not to friends and family. I'd say you could you could probably skip this one. Mm-hmm. There, it's not an actively avoid like some of them are. There are some where I would be like, please don't watch this movie. Do yourself a favor. Don't watch it. This is not that. This is like the, it has not a lot to recommend itself. But I also don't think that it's like a hard hard pass don't even subject yourself to it i do think that it's like it's fine as far as like bad cop movies that you can predict go yeah but i i do think that there is nothing to recommend it specifically over any other movie it does have its share of misogyny like just to to put that out there like it's it's got a lot of victim blaming and like yeah uh, Yeah. it's sort of 
it has this moment where Keanu's like uh, basically kind of blaming the his victims for for I don't what he thinks that they don't turn they turn on the lights in the morning. It's so bizarre. Like <laughs> it's weird, but he's like <laughs> I don't know. It basically the movie basically implies that women don't know when to turn the lights on, um, <laughs> and that's why they get raped and attacked. So um, there are things like that throughout the film that make it that may make it not an easy watch. And of course, violence against women if that's your if something that that. Um, you have issues totally probably should know about that but other you know <laughs> other than that there's also nothing else to recommend it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. i didn't actively hate this i guess whitney if if that's the if that's the the bar to meet where i was like this movie did not make me angry to watch i just feel very little about it then yeah i i guess question mark that <laughs> that's where it goes given all that where does this fit into your current Keanu rankings team? So, yeah, I have put it between Tune In Tomorrow and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. It is at uh, number 19 for me. Ev, Ev, where are you putting it, buddy? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> no! Oh, I love it. No! I love Evan, no! you don't even rec- You don't even recommend it. What? No, I don't, but that's where I put it. How is oh it in your gosh. top ten? This I don't is know. classic Evan behavior that you're <laughs> witnessing right now, Asia. Evan, tell Asia where you're putting this. Uh, seven. Between I, I, what I movie and it. what movie? Yeah, between uh, Chain Reaction and Much Ado About Nothing. Above Much Ado About Nothing. That's Above Much Ado About Nothing. That's how it went. I can't. I can't abide this behavior. We'll have this a reckoning. Is, this is, this is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, save it for the record. More than once we have had Evan say, I do not recommend this. I don't like it. It's in my top five. Right. It yeah. doesn't make yeah. any sense. There's wow. no rhyme or reason to this. Yeah. Yep. It's true. It I'm putting in, okay, well now I have to know theory. what his top five is. Yeah. Ev, Ev, spout them off real quick. Here we go. Um, the Matrix Speed, Point Break, Replacements. No, wait, wait. I'm sorry. What? And Devil's Advocate. <laughs> You have speed at number two. Mm-hmm. We actually all have speed. All at number three of two, us have weirdly. speed at number two. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> wow. Above Point Break. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. When was the last wow, time you watched is... Speed Asia? I actually watched it recently, not too long ago. And really? I, think, I I I think honestly, I think it holds up extremely well. But it's also like I I I have a lot of feelings about Speed, but that doesn't mean that I think it's a good movie. <laughs> all right. I think it's it's a. It's a very entertaining movie. I think that it for a a movie that's like fun action, I put it right up there with The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, Fraser and Rachel Weiss. It knows exactly oh, what it say is. I would say it's better than The Mummy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's I I think it's a it's it's full of these iconic component parts and I think it's 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 sort of this iconic 90s movie. I have a lot of feelings about speed but like I which I won't cuz you've already had your speed episode. But <laughs> I do think that it's it's one of those movies that it really, I think Keanu himself, like I think both Speed and The Matrix essentially bookended the 90s in terms of of being these these phenomenal mm-hmm. cultural artifacts that sort of seeped into the, the, con- the public conscious immediately and became so much larger than they were. Yeah. And I think that's to the credit of both movies, but I don't necessarily think that makes, I think Speed was sort of in in its moment and i don't necessarily know that that means it was aesthetically a good movie mm-hmm. but it's one that i will always enjoy <laughs> fair enough so, uh we all yeah. think it's a very good movie because we all have it at number two <laughs> well that's really fascinating 
I can I can live with that, I guess. I will I will say, however, that I can't speak for Evan and I can't speak for Andrew, but the way that I do my rankings is like if I'm homesick and have all of Keanu Reeves to watch, <laughs> put them in order of what I'm most willing to watch again first. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like Oh, sure. The Matrix I will watch over and over and over again. Speed is a great one to watch over and over and over again. It's not necessarily in quality of film, but in which one did I enjoy enough to watch again when I'm homesick? And so that's kind of like why I put, like I would rather watch Tune In Tomorrow before I watch The Watcher again. But I would rather watch The Watcher than Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And that's kind of my MO when I go through my list is if I had to sit down right now and watch one of these movies... Which would I rather watch and and kind of just go down the list asking that question? And I think speed is always going to rank high for me because that's how I go about my list. Um, I think that speed is is an entirely rewatchable movie and has held up surprisingly well over time. So I think when you're looking at a home from work, sick one day kind of a rewatchability, speed is up there, whether it's a good movie or not. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I get that. I think you have to do that with a lot of these films too, because I mean, you can talk all day about something like Little Buddha. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> where you've got this like, you know, auteur director, like, like doing, uh, doing auteur director things, but I don't know that anyone has seen that movie for one thing and i don't know that it would rank high in a rewatchability contest mm-hmm. so yeah yeah no it's not super high on any of our lists no no it no, did not it not do well I, i'm slotting the watcher in at number 24 for me so it's after flying but before i love you to death so that's kind of where flying. this movie falls wow you yeah. hated flying not as much mm-hmm. as Evan did. But. I mean, you know, <laughs> there were there were some hilarious parts of flying. I'll say that the hot dog with too many toppings. There was a lot going on in that movie that was funny. So, okay, there we go. The rankings have been uh, logged as such. So, let's chat next week. Ev, you're yeah. going to be leading us through a discussion about a movie called The Gift. Mm-hmm. Have we seen this? I don't. I don't think I have. It sounds. It, it sounds familiar. Asia, have you seen this? Do you know it? Do you know about this movie? I have seen The Gift multiple times. It's fun. <laughs> I okay. don't think it's, I have, but I'm not 100% on yeah. that. Uh, really? It's the one where, was it somebody, is it Kate Blanchett? Probably not Kate Blanchett. Whoever the, there's a medium, right? It's the one with the medium and she's like, got to solve a murder. And, and Keanu is, I believe, the abusive husband, the abusive husband of one of her clients. And, um, and it's it's fun. It's fun. It's it's Sam Rami. You'll like it. You'll like it. It's got oh. it's you know, it's a hot mess you'll enjoy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Those the are those is, are the best ones. They, they kind of are the best ones, uh, in the end. But yeah, I there's so much in this time period where I feel like I don't know if I've actually seen it or not because I didn't see it in theaters necessarily, but maybe it was like on TBS one time and I saw it, but it didn't <laughs> register like with the title. So there's a lot of these early 2000s ones that I'm not sure if I've seen or not. That doesn't, everything that you just described does not sound familiar at all to me. So I'm going to say, no, I don't think I have seen it. That's hilarious. Cause I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Like it's probably one of those movies that was like on TV at some point, like in background in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like I've seen it a bunch of times. Awesome. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't actively recall having seen it. So I, I, I don't know either. I could be in that same boat where it was on in the background, but it did not, if, if I did see it, it did not leave an impression. So there's that. 
Right, right. I think probably you have to be like, I, I think I'm pretty sure it's the Southern Gothic film and I'm in, I'm into Southern Gothic films. So I probably was like, ooh, this is something I can add to my 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 the the, the database of Southern Gothic yeah. films I have in yeah. my head, which <laughs> like everyone has. There you go. <laughs> all right. I think that brings us to the end. Do we have any other thoughts uh, at all? Anything? Mm-mm. No, we've covered Speak everything. Now? All right. Asia. Oh my gosh, what an episode. What a night. What troubles we had and overcame together. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it was worth it. It was. It Thank you was. so much for, for being a part of this with us. Can you go ahead and just tell listeners where they could find you on the internet, where they could read more about you, follow you on social places, stuff like that? Sure. Um, my Vox byline is just Asia Romano. That's my name. Um, so you can probably Google me and find me there. Um, I'm on Twitter also at Asia Romano. Shocker. Um, and I'm on Tumblr. I haven't updated my Tumblr in forever, but I'm on Tumblr and a lot of other places around the internet just as Bookshop, username Bookshop. Okay. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. But if you, you stick with my byline and my Twitter, you'll pretty much get a lot of me. So. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Sounds great. Whitney, what do you have going on this week? Um, so historical hotties, we talk about f- people throughout history who've been accused of witchcraft. Um, and we tried to keep it as lighthearted as possible for what is in actuality a pretty bummer subject. But we right. did find people to talk about who were very hot. And we did come out with a winner. Um, so historical <laughs> hotties, you can find us at Historically Hot anywhere on the internet. Um, also search out my video game podcast, Almost Better Than Silence, uh, my real play RPG podcast, Myth Takes. Um, but you can find all of that on my Twitter, Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N, and I'll link to all that stuff from there. Perfect. Ev? Yeah. Where are you, buddy? (laughs) Oh, uh, you can find me on Instagram (laughs) at Evan Acri. And, uh, I'm also on Twitter, but it's awful just don't even look at it and uh yeah yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> okay relatable relatable <laughs> <laughs> oh there you go you gotta get someone on your side F. all right yes. good yes we're like yeah tell tell everybody about everything and instagram it is so uh you can follow me on most social platforms at Dark Driving. Uh, Twitter, Instagram are the best for that. Uh, more recently on YouTube, I've been back into the teaching mode, uh, video editing, all that good stuff. So uh, give that a follow if that's something you're into. So that's it. We did it, team. Thank you so much Woo! for joining us. And as always, in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. This is not the show. I can't hear Whitney oh, at all. Man. This is crazy to Bummer. me. Yeah, right now it says she's muted. Right now I'm muted, but before I was not. Should I be a Whitney interpreter? Should I like recite her <laughs> questions back to you? This is going to, I'll just say that this is going to be hilarious. This is going to be hilarious when it's time for pop <laughs> oh, quiz. Oh, no, like, that's going to be so <laughs> funny when it's time but, for pop right. quiz. We'll, uh, we'll try to power through. I might try to, I might try to work something out here. That's hilarious. We'll yeah, let well, me, if, if you need me to translate, let me know. I'll do it in a funny accent if you like. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. Uh, of your choice, whatever it is. And I guarantee 
It'll be better than any accent Keanu has ever Maybe done. Maybe I'll just try doing it in a Keanu voice, a very bad Keanu voice. Oh. <laughs> Keanu impressions Fantastic. are my favorite kind of impression. All right. So Because no one can uh, do a Keanu top, impression. I want to mention no. you can find the website at coolbreezepod.com. Email oh, us. Man. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Whitney, in the streams here. Whitney, Whitney was saying, <clears throat> Whitney was saying that nobody can do <laughs> Nobody can do a Keanu impression. And it's true, man. Nobody can. <laughs> that's that's uh, uh, that was actually pretty good. Pretty good. That was actually. one of the best ones I've heard. 